The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 42. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ sounds a little disagreeable as he speaks in our gospel reading today. The one born to be the Prince of Peace announces to his disciples, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now it's better news than you might think. If Jesus doesn't become flesh to be the Savior, then everybody is lost in sin. But then he appears and starts proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. He doesn't force anyone into the kingdom. By the work of the Holy Spirit, some believe and others do not. And that means you've now got a division between unbelievers and believers, between the lost and the found. And this division isn't always peaceful. It's not just that the lost don't get Christianity, but they tend to oppose it. Their consciences are in bad shape because of their sin, and they're going to try to make themselves feel better by insisting that their sins are okay, which means they're going to disagree with believers who seek to honor God's holy law. Furthermore, they're going to see Jesus as a troublemaker who points out the fact that they're in bondage to sin and death, but without faith, they won't believe that he can do anything to help. All of this means that there's going to be trouble. And that's what Jesus means when he says he comes to bring not peace, but a sword. By the way, we should take a second to note that Jesus doesn't say that there was peace until he arrives on scene. It's not like people do a fantastic job of getting along with each other as long as there aren't any Christians around. Where the gospel is scarce... The world tends to be a scary, dark, and violent place. I say this because you hear nonsense about how most wars are fought because of religion, so we would get rid of most wars if we got rid of religion in general and Christianity in particular. 
I really don't want to spend a lot of time on this in this sermon, but I would point out that not all religions are the same, and some are very warlike and some are very unwarlike. So it's not really rational to put Christianity in the same category as, say, jihadist Islam. I'd also point out that rulers who claim to be Christian but then say, let's go slaughter the neighboring country, they may just be using Christianity as a disguise for propaganda purposes. Furthermore, if Christianity is the big problem, then you'd think that the godless communist regimes of last century would have killed a few fewer million people. I don't mean to make light of such things, but the idea that Christianity is a problem, that deserves to be ridiculed. We should also refute the notion that Jesus is all about peace, love, and tolerance as the world defines these things. Plenty of churches have sacrificed the gospel for this sparkly notion, declaring that Jesus came so that everyone would tolerate everybody's sins, and we'd all get along better because he'd want us to celebrate all sorts of deviant behaviors. You might think that churches which say to the world, we are here to tell you that you're right and the Bible is totally off base, would be popular and growing, and yet those churches are declining at light speed. At any rate, as we've already heard the last two Sundays, the church is not going to be popular because it confesses the truth about man's sin and Christ's redemption. It's that opposition, which can mean suffering and persecution, that has Jesus saying, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. This, I freely admit, is not the happiest of Bible passages to preach about. And if we read further, it becomes more difficult. Where does this division, this strife take place? Often too close to home. Jesus continues, I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So, says Jesus, the dividing line runs through families, through households, and that is going to be tough. It is entirely possible that you know this personally, and painfully. I know it is true for many of you that within your household or family, there's a division between those who believe and those who do not believe. This is a common cross for Christians to bear, but common crosses are still difficult ones. The nails still hurt just as much. So it chafes on Sunday mornings when you come here for forgiveness and loved ones consider it a waste of time. It changes holidays, which are natural times for family get-togethers, because Christmas and Easter are centered on the reality of Christ for you, but not for them. It makes even inviting them to church an awkward thing, because you know it's probably going to be a tense conversation, and even if they consent to come along, it's going to hurt like crazy when you partake of the supper, and they cannot. And it ripples out from there across family life. 
It's easy to acknowledge cohabitation as a sin until your daughter moves in with her boyfriend. So how do you keep the family together then? What do you do when you get the invite to the nephew's gay wedding? What do you do for a meal prayer when you know that giving thanks is going to annoy some at the table and praying for them will make it worse? All of this adds up not to peace, but a sword. And this strife is a blade that the devil will wield on your faith. In fact, when children grow up and leave the faith, they don't just put their own souls at risk. They put the rest of the family in jeopardy too. See, unless the sword has already wreaked huge damage, you love your kids. When kids wander away from the church, it hurts deeply. That's when you're tempted to make room inside Christianity for your kids, even when they've left Christianity, because the pain of them being outside hurts so much. That's when you're tempted to blame our communion practice for the pain on Easter Sunday or take issue with our insistence that God is still holy and still opposes immorality. That's when you're tempted to the endless loop of thinking what you could have done, should have done differently. That's when you wake up on Sunday morning and think to yourself that even though you still believe, it would hurt a lot less if maybe you skipped church yourself rather than have an empty spot in the pew next to you. This is big stuff, a huge assault. It's a first commandment issue. The understandable risk of loving others more than God. Jesus warns of this in our text when he says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Yeah, this is a painful cross and real suffering. As my predecessor used to say, blood is thicker than doctrine. If this is you, please know that I don't consider your presence here an easy thing or a duty you must fulfill. I consider your being here in this service a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit against great assaults of the devil. And I give great thanks to God that you are here. Many in your shoes are not. All this is what Jesus means when he says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. But we should look at this another way. Into the knife fight of this world, what sword does Jesus bring? He brings the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is the Word that still sustains your faith, because it is there that God tells you of His love for you in Christ. By that Word, you know that God's only begotten Son did not wander or depart from His Father's will, but He made His way to the cross and redeemed you from your sin. He redeemed your kids and all your loved ones from their sin as he died for the sins of the world. And this is the word that was spoken over your children at the font as they were marked with God's name and set apart as his child. If they have wandered from the faith or run away from home, 
you still have Jesus' baptismal promise to them, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that is why you don't give up. But you continue to watch and pray for the repentance. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remember, the Lord will not force anyone to believe, but he will not give up either. You do not give up either, ever. For it may be your death and funeral service that sobers a wandering child and brings him back to the faith and the hope that you have in Christ. This sword is the word that you're given to speak to those who have wandered from the faith. You speak it in love, of course, both because Christ bids you to do so and because you're speaking to loved ones. But hopefully, rather than stony silence, there's still enough love there to say, even if you don't believe God's word, I still believe it to be true. And while your beliefs are leading you in one direction and mine in another, I hope we can still love one another, even if we can't support everything each other does. And I hope we can still speak freely with one another. Speaking and waiting may seem nearly useless, but you speak the word of God, which means the Holy Spirit is at work in that word to amplify the truth and to convict those who hear. This sword is the word of God that you also speak back to God in prayer. Rather than fall for the temptation to stew that God is unfair, No, you remind God of his promises to hear your prayers and be faithful to his baptized people. You praise him for his track record of seeking and saving the lost, yourself included. You remember that Jesus became the lost one for all on the cross, condemned for all sin, so that we might have the hope of salvation. And you commend your lost one to him, because he knows the temptation and the sin and the lostness. And he is risen again to seek and to save them. Now, I've mentioned this before, but it has been a while. If you attend church bearing the sadness that others in your family have departed from the faith, pray for them as you kneel at the altar for Holy Communion. Speak their names silently or quietly and pray for their repentance. Give your wandering son or daughter to their father in heaven there as he gives you his only begotten son for your forgiveness and life and salvation. Christ has borne all sins and carried all sorrows to the cross. He knows your grief. And for his sake, the Father hears your prayers, and the Holy Spirit is at work upon you and upon your children. Incidentally, if you hear someone at the altar next to you saying a name out loud, a great thing to do is say, Lord, have mercy. Join their prayer. No need to let them be alone. We bear one another's burdens. We do so 
because Christ has borne our burdens already. He's carried them to the cross to set us free from sin and death. And now, in the midst of the brutality of this world, he gives us the sword of his spirit, a two-edged blade that slices the bonds of sin and surgically removes the cancers of sin. His appearing in the flesh may have increased strife as his enemies sought to oppose him even to the cross. But now he is risen from the dead, and ultimately his sword, his word, brings peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.